everyone to the rest podcast where our goal is to help each and every one of you displace confusion chaos and dis-ease in order to heal and find significance in life i am your host natalie williams and i am here with the author of the reconstitution method for healing and rest virginia dixon so i want to welcome casey crimmins and jonathan boyce to our podcast today and the timing of this conversation is a divine appointment in my estimation. But we've been discussing some difficult topics that I have to deal with day in and day out behind closed doors by people that are not people of faith. I think the conversation that we've been having for the last two weeks and why this conversation becomes really important is that I'm feeling compelled to discuss things that are very uncomfortable and people do not want to talk about it in a clinical setting. And they certainly don't want to talk about it in a public setting. And that is the spiritual constitution of confusion, chaos, and dis-ease and how that manifests in people's lives. So I invited Riley to have a conversation with me because she was one of my patients and my clients. And now she's part of our creative team here, administrative team. And she's amazing. But the fact that Riley's alive is a miracle. And I believe Riley's story is the voice of a generation. But we talked about the spiritual constitutions of addictions, a banquet in the grave, which was a theme that we discussed many months ago. But I felt compelled to discuss how do we get out of that and what that looks like and the challenges and the difficulties and the glory, by the way, of making that pilgrimage and the relevance of those people like Riley stepping out of that place of addiction or of pain. Catherine Vance also talked about rape and I talked about living in a culture of rape. And I want to talk now about the condition of the church in the context of that. So, you know, something really serious is happening when the confusion, chaos, and disease of the age is impacting people in such a way that they're questioning their own worldview, their own view of God, Mm. their own ideas about God is or God isn't in the context of their own experiences. Many times they grew up in the church, but they've frankly stepped aside from the church, fell away from the church. They find the church completely inconsequential and irrelevant. So I want to have some of those discussions with both of you today. But one of the things that I began doing in the onset of this conversation, Casey, was to introduce Jonathan because of Jonathan, I met you. And I wanted Jonathan to briefly, before we delve into that conversation, I wanted Jonathan to just give context for who he is. Credibility is really important to me. And I believe credibility is established in the context of relationships and in the context of speaking with conviction about things you've experienced firsthand. And Jonathan, obviously, I was the practitioner helping your mother-in-law and your father-in-laws. They both fought cancer. The consequence of my work with them, they were so compelled by the things they'd heard about rest 
that they immediately said, can you work with our eight children? And the consequence of working with their eight children is I also worked with their spouses. And in many, many cases, their spouses extended family. And it's been an incredible experience. Literally hundreds of people have been impacted by the rest conversation that began with two of my patients and extended. And the consequence and the fruit of it has been unbelievable. So Jonathan is the spouse of one of the beautiful Libric girls, Amanda Libric, now Amanda Boyce. And I had asked him to join us, Casey, so that he could give context to why he connected me with you. So met Virginia through my mother-in-law and father-in-law who were getting cancer treatment at the cancer center where Virginia was the director of inner healing. After seeing the profound impact that the conversations that they were having with Virginia were having on them, Amanda and I, my wife and I, we decided that we would like to have the opportunity to meet Virginia and speak with her as well. At the time, I was suffering through some of my own health issues, and we packed up and headed out to California for a week intensive to learn from Virginia about the concept of rest. And that was the first time I grew up in the church, wonderful home, wonderful parents who love the Lord. And this was the first time in my life in my late twenties that I was actually being discipled and the discipleship uh, that Virginia implemented during that first week intensive has just continued to produce fruit in my own life. And I would love to see the church to be able to experience this type of discipleship that I did not. Uh, The friends of mine who have turned away from the faith, the friends of mine currently in church right now who are going to church and still seem to be missing out some sort of connection to to Christ and and being discipled. Um, So when I met Casey, We had a a quick conversation through some friends, and I began to hear him talk about how he is implementing um, discipleship in the church and also outside of the church and the, the profound impact it's had in his community and the principles that I had learned from Virginia and what I was hearing uh, from Casey that were woven together so well and knew that I needed to make the connection between these two people to start this conversation of what well, one of hope, right? What, what is the path forward of discipleship for the church? Thank you so much, Jonathan. And this conversation is perhaps the most important conversation I think I'm going to have this year with anybody, to be really honest with you, primarily because when confusion, chaos, and dis-ease blindside us and hit us and consume every facet of our lives as we're experiencing nationally, globally, since the pandemic for sure. And now a lot of complicated political, economic issues are coming to bear, not to mention the consequence on the family, the relationships and whatnot and health, right? It is imperative that we discuss uncomfortable conversations of our deepest convictions. And to me, the basis and why I was so excited about you introducing me to Casey is because 
I'm always looking for one thing in everything at all times. I just want the truth. That's all. I hold everything very loosely because I know that without truth, relational, emotional, and spiritual issues do not matter. Everything rises or falls on the truth. We can have ideas, we can have opinions, we can have perspective, but truth is the plumb line. And I was so encouraged by the things you communicated that Casey was working on because I thought, wow, this guy is my brother from another mother. We got the same dad, right? And I was so excited to talk to him because I thought God's moving. And I'm all about laws of nature, self-evident truth that speak to our natural affections. I'm a science person. My background is in neuroscience. I have a love for anatomy. I have a love for physiology, but my passion is for theology and for philosophy. What's true and what's not about God is and God isn't. And to me, all those issues are reconciled in this thing we called our temple. All those issues are clarified in the context of psycho-neuro-immunology, how the soul works through the brain in the body. So I think the most beautiful apologetic is contained within ourselves. A defense for God is contained in our very anatomy, in understanding how all these systems work independently, dependent on each other to function. There has to be balance, harmony, and coherence between the spirit, the soul, the body of a person for there to be wholeness, completeness. And when God calls us into holiness, into wholeness, I think he's inviting us into a place of reason to have the resources to reconcile the conflicts we have within ourselves. So I know that's kind of a mouthful, but Jonathan, there's no more practical and beautiful illustration of what that looks like than what I experienced with Mr. and Mrs. Liebrich and their eight children and their spouses. I invited everybody into a place to reason and reconcile confusion, chaos, and disease that comes with a cancer diagnosis. Let's just be practical. Fear. What am I doing here? Wait, I did. I served God in all these ways. Why is this happening to us? And then the practical aspects of living in today's world with eight children. Wait a minute. We taught you this. We took you here. We instilled these values. What the hell? What are you guys doing? And the pressure that a mom and a dad that really pour themselves into their children, they think, well, if I did all this, what do you mean? Everything isn't perfect. And now at the peak of our life, we both have cancer. Are you kidding me? You know, we got to have tough discussions about difficult things. And in the context of our rest matrix, not only did we unpack all that and we reconcile the confusion, the chaos and the disease, but it really changed the trajectory of all of our lives, mine included. And that is a story I share with every single client and every single patient and every single leader that I work with and institution that I serve. Because at the end of the day, that's what it's about. We need clarity, order, and ease to live. Our body cannot survive with confusion, chaos, and dis-ease. That's where we get the word disease, right? we become susceptible to very serious conditions. And 
the statistics we're seeing with cancer and autoimmune diseases and all these other things, they're not universal things. They're happening here in America, very specifically. And so we can't neglect the conversation of philosophy, what's true and what's not, and theology as it pertains to how our very anatomy works. And I know all that was a mouthful, but I felt like it was necessary because Casey isn't very familiar with my work, hasn't worked with me very much. But Casey, the parallel conversation you and I are having is so encouraging to me because to be frank with you, I feel pretty lonely sometimes. I feel a little crazy sometimes. And the people that have helped retain my sanity have been my patients and my clients and people like Jonathan. Mm. But when I heard a young man like you having the conversations you were having that Jonathan pretty much overheard and him saying, wait a minute, this, these are the principles Virginia's talking about. Mm-hmm. And if people reason from principles, we can win this battle we're in. The war was won 2022 years ago, as far as I'm concerned. But the battles yeah. that we face since that point in history, they're terrifying, frankly. And it takes strength and courage and community. And so with that, I want to thank you so much for joining us, Casey, and tell our listening audience, we had a, we had a few hour conversation. <laughs> we did. Tell them about being here and about you and about your background. Now you take it from here. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Virginia. This is uh, lots of fun. And, and I think we're going to have some fun here for the next little bit. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a first and foremost follower of Jesus, uh, trying to figure out what the way of Christ really looks like here in 2022 and beyond. I'm a husband of recently 14 years, my wife, Tanya. I have four beautiful children, 12, 10, 8, and 6, also pastor and then help lead a nonprofit organization here in the city of Charlotte to connect the church, to walk out the unity that we already have to see the transformation of our city. So uh, those are some of my titles and roles, but I would say I'm also kind of on the side. My side hustle is uh, that we would see a true sea change in the way people experience church in the coming ages, that my children would adopt a type of church, a model of a approach of church that looks probably nothing like what we're experiencing right now. And in some ways, as they're raising their children, they'll have the stories of like, oh, I heard back in the day churches were, and then fill in the blank. And it would be just the most bizarre thing. I got to be honest with you. It wasn't until I read Diedrich Bonhoeffer's Eric mm. Metaxas wrote Bonhoeffer, an incredible book. It was so comprehensive. And I heard echoes of so much of my own story and what I experienced before we immigrated to America. The cost of discipleship, really, those words just pierced my very soul because in my observation as a clinician and as an educator, as a thought leader, as a curriculum developer, and as a discipleship counselor of sorts, I have observed, and I have never had this conversation with anybody other than Randy Bixby. And now I'm having it with you. Love it. But my concern is that the church, it's an oversimplification for sure, but the church abandoned the task of discipleship, of teaching, of inviting people to reason. And where ideas, difficult things could be talked about, reasoned through in the context of history 
and in the context of theology, of course, in the context of scriptures and in the context of difficult modern day themes that we have to discuss, they abandon that to evangelize. And so <laughs> they evangelized and I'm not a pastor, my background, I don't, I never took, I, I don't have a background in theology, but as a clinician, that was my observation. So the church abandoned the instructional, the function of reason of inviting people into a place of rest to reconcile conflicts. That's not the job of a therapist. In my opinion, it is the job of pastors of this church. It's what established this republic, a set of ideas rooted on principles of individual self-government to secure freedom. And that has to do with understanding what a conscience is and not violating your conscience and understanding mm. that in the context of theology and philosophy. And the church abandoned that conversation to go out and fill the pews and get the message out. And that was not of primary importance. I think discipleship is, but I'll let you take it from there because obviously I feel passionate about this, but I see the wreckage yeah. that's come out of the church and I deal with pastor's kids. Most mm. of my patients are of various religions. I might add Muslim, Buddhist, all kinds of different things. Yeah. But the, the toughest people to help heal are the people that have walked away from the church. And that's oh, yeah. not acceptable. That is just not acceptable because full on heretical teaching is coming out of the church. It is false doctrine. And we're trying to entertain people and we're not discipling them. We're not teaching them how to reason while an entire education system's collapsing. So I know that's a mouthful and I'm going to shut up now, but I'm so well, happy to have you because you're the first person I'm having this conversation with on the air. Because yes. this is an uncomfortable conversation. People yes. don't want to talk about tough subjects. They don't want to talk about philosophy. Of course. Talk about politics. You can't talk about God. And I'm thinking, well, that's not because that's because you don't work where I work. Because even mm. atheists, agnostics, Muslims, they come yeah. here and they want to know one thing. Where's God in all this? Where's God in all this? Yeah. And I dedicated my life. I did all the right things. I jumped through all the hoops mm -hmm. and I don't feel God. I don't hear him. I don't know right. him. And these are our kids that are partying like rock stars and go to church every Sunday and have had dozens of sexual partners that are doing ecstasy, getting mm -hmm. high and drunk and wasted. And guess what? They're on the worship team. They're my patients, right? And yeah. it's killing them. And they're mm. saying, help me. But they, they, there's such hypocrisy even within the leadership of a lot. And by the way, I'm not slamming all churches and all I'm, I'm not doing that. I just want to be real about yeah. what people are experiencing privately and they don't have a public platform of expression. Yeah. So let me, let me give just a little bit of a frame for even what you just talked about. Cause I think it's important for us just to understand, like this didn't happen by accident, this experience, this, this uh, cognitive dissonance that we all are walking in, especially a lot of us in the church, but to your point, no one wants to say anything. Because to challenge that is to challenge the infrastructure and potentially hierarchy that is controlling in many contexts, like the word of God and, and relationship to a higher being. So to, to understand that the faith began at a table, like it's centered around a table. And, and I'd say most of the expressions of church that we experience today in modern Western American culture centers around the pulpit. And when you shift from a table to a pulpit, 
I mean, everything about the makeup changes. And it's funny because both can be made out of wood and both technically could have people around it. But usually a pulpit has one person. A table has lots of people. And a table presents an environment for a community to come together, to engage, to process, to reason, to speak to, to work out what it is and, and to share in something communal at, in a moment and, and then over a lifetime. A pulpit is a place where like a show takes place, where like entertainment and not even entertain in like a bad way, but like keep people engaged in whatever it is that's coming out of that person's mouth for an extended period of time. And, and what that puts the people in the position of is now they're receiving this, they're sitting and just receiving it, not engaging with it, not challenging or, or, or processing, they're receiving it. And then their call is to then go to promote this event to others and bring them to that event. That's what I mean. Yeah. There's a frame. There's a, there's a frame that we, we said, let's center this thing, this, this moment of exchange, but it's really a one-way exchange. And then that's going to be church. And as yeah. soon as we made that the center of our faith, to your point, discipleship went way out the door. Great quote. You said church began around a table and church grew around a pulpit and both are made out of wood. I want you to explain where church began. And when you said that, I immediately obviously thought of the turning point in history. The person who ushered in the language of liberty was the person of Jesus Christ. Up until mm -hmm. that time in the history of the world, liberty yeah. was not a word. Liberty is a capacity to individually self-govern. And there's something that we all know as we go through life, we need a strength, we need a power, we need something bigger than ourselves. And Christ said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy burden, and I will give you rest for your soul. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Come and learn from me. Because in that transaction, he promised that if we surrendered in that place of brokenness, that he and the Holy Spirit would make their dwelling place in us and we would experience liberty to secure our freedom, internal, external, right? So the table I want to make clear that you're referring to is the 12 guys that he tried to expound that message and not only explain that to them and communicate that to them, but to also, oops, something happened. You can't come on. Jonathan, is that too complicated what I'm getting into? No, I, I think it's very timely for what we're talking about right here. Bottom line, this event in history that we measure time by is a, is a critical point in history. And I don't want us to miss the connection between the voice of liberty to secure freedom. And that was the only time in the history of the world that a new world order was ushered in. That's it because people had the capacity to change the trajectory of their entire life through a power that they have within their own resources. What's been so, the practical application of what I just said in your personal life? Because we worked together and this principle I'm discussing was foundational to the healing of your family. Yeah. It's been taking a long time of, of hearing this over and over again to really understand it, right? The first time I heard it, it probably didn't didn't really grasp it. It spoke to my natural affections. Good. And I knew that there was truth there. Didn't know how to apply it. Now, uh, understanding that liberty is an internal function of the soul to produce freedom externally. That's coming to be a part of my thinking. 
to the point where before it, while I heard it, a light bulb switched on in my mind, but it didn't really change the behaviors yet. Right. And then now as I've begun to grasp it and my soul has been able to feed on it and understand these truths, it's transformation from the inside out in my own life. Yeah. And I want to clarify the soul that Jonathan just referenced is the mind, the heart, the will, the conscience, the feelings. I say this all the time. That is the place is your very soul, your mind, your heart, your will, your conscience, your feelings, where you negotiate liberty. That's where you make decisions of conscience. According to the counsel of your own will, the volition of your own will, it'll determine the measure of freedom you live with. Nobody can take it from you. You literally give it away because you don't understand, or I should say, not you, we give it away because we don't understand the function and the power and the authority that we have in governing those parts of our soul. When we govern those things well, those decisions will bear the consequence in the measure of freedom we're living with. And when we don't understand these principles, we are in bondage. And when we're in bondage, that means we're all tied up in knots, right? And then we will be enslaved by external things that threaten the quality of our life. And Jonathan, I'm so glad that you interjected that it takes time to reason through these things. These aren't quick transactions, but once you have the seed of an idea, what happens? It begins to grow. Yeah. And it's transformational. Yeah. You shared a story and I, I think we mentioned it some podcasts ago, or I referenced it about the trash guy that created art. I, I want you to share that story. Yeah. So Rob Greenfield, he's an activist, a green earth activist, and he has some really unconventional ways of getting people's attention. And one of the things that he recently did was he uh, took trash bags and strapped them to himself. And for 30 days, every piece of trash that he had from like eating a meal, receiving a package in the mail anything, anytime that he had any trash, instead of throwing it away in a nearby dumpster, never to be seen again, and it's forgotten, it's out of his life. He put it in these bags that he had strapped to himself. And he began to fill them every single item for 30 days living as the a normal uh, American would. And these began to fill up over and over to, he, to where he could almost barely walk, sit down, move or anything. And it was like a beautiful picture, right? Of how we kind of do this. Things that enslave us. Yeah. The trash that enslaves us. Mm -hmm. and so instead of processing appropriately the things, he really started thinking, how much trash do I really have, has access to me? And do I have access to, and how much can accumulate in my life? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so he held on to things, held on to things. And the baggage was unbelievable. Yeah. In the same token, he did another study with food. Yeah. Share with uh, everyone what that's like. Yeah. So with this, uh, he calls them food fiascos. And he initially started going biking across the United States. And he would 
live off of what the food that he could find in a dumpster. Well, then that sparked an idea for his next year. His big event was to then collect all this food in a city, bring it into a park, and he would lay it out in beautiful murals. It was almost like a picture and a painting across the ground. Beautiful. And he would invite saw that. people, homeless people, or anyone who wanted to just come up and, and receive this perfectly fine food that was just being thrown away. Um, and it, to, to get people's attention and, and think like, we, here we live in, in America where it's a real problem that I believe the statistic is one in four children have food insecurity. And here we are just throwing food away. Perfectly good food. His ideas of getting people's attention are pretty unconventional and, and pretty amazing. So the reverse can be true. Be careful. The things that you throw away don't have a disposable mentality in life and be intentional and conscientious about what you do with that stuff mm -hmm. yeah. because it can save a life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that story. Well, it looks like Casey may be joining us again. I am. And y'all would not believe this. The building that I was in lost power. It was oh. a, it's a massive YMCA, like huge, huge gymnasium. The power just goes out and I keep waiting for it to come back on. Does not come back on. I come out into the street. There are all the stoplights are out. Like this entire section of Charlotte had just all of a sudden lost power. So I don't know what we were talking about, but, but maybe we got to be careful. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Can I say this conversation and I want to say to our listening audience, thank you for staying with us through this, but I do believe this conversation is so incredibly important. Casey, thank you for laboring to get back to us. Even if the sound isn't perfect, I'm thankful because I do believe some, this, it's a conversation that has merit. And that is that at this juncture in history, everything changed, a new world order was ushered in. And one of the missions and the visions of rest is in that event in history, confusion, chaos, and dis-ease, and actually death was absolutely completely displaced forever in a day. So rest is something we all have access to. Freedom is something we can all acquire if we understand the function of liberty and self-governing. And if we understand how these systems work. So having a reasonable conversation about faith, about philosophy, about theology, about the state of affairs that are very confusing right now is really important. And I want to have those in the context of what's happening in the church today. There, there is a reformation happening and I'm hoping it's happening in all these other religions as well, but I think everybody can see something is, is desperately wrong. My biggest concern right now mm -hmm. is because what I see so much of is a demographic of kids that have stepped away and don't feel comfortable going back to the church because they don't want to be entertained to death anymore. And they're sick of the hypocrisy that they see and their deepest convictions and the things they're really dealing with. They can't even talk about honestly without feeling shame and rejection. And they can't even find context of those conversations in a message. And so thank you. We'll pick up with why what's happening and this concept of discipleship is becoming really important. I want to give people hope that yeah. the church is not dead and, and pastors 
don't have their head in the sand that yeah that they're not not yeah. every pastor is in an echo chamber absolutely and and you asked a very specific question that i was very excited to answer and i'm sure my face was very excited and then the power came off which was yep how the the beginnings of our faith uh and how jesus inaugurated a lot of what he was trying to do around a table how that happened and and i just I have to go to story after story after story where we see Jesus bringing people to tables, usually that were uncomfortable for them to be at specific. I mean, they're not all, we, we always go to the upper room like that last night and everything was perfect and wonderful. And it's like, you have to look at the 15 other tables that he set to see that dining with a tax collector, dining with sinners, letting a, a woman weep at his feet and clean his feet off with her hair. Like this is the, this is the ministry. This is how he was discipling them. He was discipling them around a table. So what, what we now see as church service and, you know, when people are like, I'm going to church, it's like all these things burrow into my soul in moments to be like, we have, we have so little concept for the expansive, robust, nature of Jesus's ministry to his disciples, to those he was intentionally discipling, that as they sat at tables, as they broke bread, as they worked through like really difficult questions. I mean, you look at some of the conversations that took place and conflicts. and conflicts, yes, around tables. And Jesus didn't say, oh, dinner's over, everybody out of here. He's like, that's a great question. That's a great question that the Pharisees have. Hey, that's a great question that you, the host, like, let's, let me give you some, let me ask you a question actually about that. And then, and then to tease out like the truths of the universe across a table and to see that that table then expands to what we now know as the multiple billion people that profess Christ as Lord of their lives. Like it started at a table and we want the big, we always want the big. Uh, and of course there's a train coming re- just right on time. Um, we, we always want to move right to the big, like we just want tons of people. We want tons of, you know, attention and platform and, and all the things. And yet Jesus is like, if we actually just focused on, on how I started all of this, the level and depth of life changing movement of people's lives around tables in living rooms around, I mean, we're, we're making a table right here virtually like the three of us sitting at a coffee shop un- unpacked it like this will deeply and profoundly move and change the course of history versus a 45 minute three-point sermon with a great illustration and i don't right. mean that and, and again not to <laughs> not to end it because j.i packard os guinness ravi zacharias rc sproul i mean when R.C. Sproul passed away, right? Mm-hmm. And I know he was an evangelist and he wasn't a perfect man. We could talk about that too for a minute. But, <laughs> but those men shaped my love for truth mm. and for knowledge and for reason and for understanding. And God himself and one of the greatest leaders that lived, Isaiah, right? Prophets, it's like, come, let us reason together, says yeah. God though your conflicts are devastating you know i'll Mm. show you the light 
in that. I'll make them white as snow. I'll clarify all this stuff for you. And I think these gatherings you're talking about are so significant. I want to give people hope not to get ugly and brutal fast. No, we have a serious culture of addictions and the anatomy of an addiction in my estimation is a broken heart and a shattered soul and no mm-hmm. place to go without pain. And there are spiritual implications that we've discussed in the last two podcasts of an addiction mm-hmm. and the anatomy of an addiction. Evil wow. has a name and it manifests in what we all, we talk, we all talk about it all the time, but when we have to deal with it, nobody wants to deal with it. We talk about wow. the demons we wrestle with, the demons we see. Well, here, I have to deal with them with atheists. Yeah. Because these beings materialize. And so we've got to have the courage and the strength to talk about this culture of addiction and the spiritual constitution, the broken hearts, the shattered souls, and the demonic realm and how it operates. And mm. that's, why the, that's why these rehab centers are revolving doors. Because if you do not account for the spiritual constitution of disease states, you can't heal a soul and you're certainly not going to do too much for the anatomy of a person. Yeah, they might Mm. be okay for two, three, four, five years, but it's only a matter of time before things that we're not willing to talk about really sink their claws into the very soul of our anatomy. I mean, look at Ravi. You know, and not to get into that, that's like a huge conversation, you know, but, but a rape culture, we have a rape culture. I see there isn't a college girl I've dealt with in the last five years that has not Mm. been raped, known somebody who is raped and is confusing and rationalizing the rape. Mm. And I'll go even further. The extent to which everything that's sacred about their very personhood and humanity was violated by something that they've accepted as normal. Oh, I Mm. don't know if it was this. I don't know if it was that. I mean, he didn't mean it. I mean, yeah, I kind of did that. And honestly, I have literally wanted to physically throw up, not Mm. because of the stories or the people, but because of the confusion, chaos, and dis-ease. And this is happening in our churches. So I do believe that the themes you're discussing are so important because we are a spirit working through a soul in a body and we have to address the expression of what the failure to address the cost of discipleship and to train people and make disciples of men, the cost that that's had in our marriages, in our government, on our, how about this, in our families, our marriages, our spheres of influence our communities, yeah. our church, our states, and our nation. Yeah. So what's the hope that we can give? That things are changing. That, that's, that's the hope that we hold on to, that there is a different future ahead of us. And I think this is some of these shifts that we talked about last time, I think is a big thing that I'm hopeful for. Casey, obviously we've had all these technical difficulties and all these things, but nevertheless, we've had a conversation about something that I think is necessary. And that Mm -hmm. is what is the state of faith in America? What is the hope of the church? Where do people that have walked away and don't feel like they have a place to go? What's happening? I think, and we've addressed it a little bit, but in the next segment, I know you have a lot to say about some amazing things that are happening and a change, a shift that's happening. And I'd like to discuss that with you. 
Sounds good. Yeah. Do you have any closing thoughts for this last segment? Yeah. I think a lot of what we're seeing right now, and this is how pendulum shifts happen, and we could point all throughout history of just the pendulum shifts of our hearts and our souls. I think the pendulum shift of moving away from a deeply discipleship centric approach to following Jesus. We're seeing the fruit. We're seeing the, I mean, all, all the words that you just said, like this disorderness, this, this confusion, dis-ease. I mean, we're seeing the fruit of it. So when we start to see fruit that looks like stuff we don't want, eventually we have to go to the root and take an ax and say, maybe, maybe we got to do something different next time. Those are perfect closing words. So who's taking the ax to what? People of God and, and, and God knows who they are that have such a deep yearning to know him, to be known by him and to follow his son, Jesus, as far out on the fringes or as close to the, the center of it all that they might be. I think that the moment of awakening is happening and it's not just from a pulpit and it's not just from a platform. It's from a people saying there's something different and, and we want to do it. Um, and there's just like, better, just like, huh? yeah, there's something, there's something better. better. Yes. Mm -hmm. So here we are. Yeah. Thank you so much. We'll pick this up in the next segment. Sounds good. Thank you so much, Virginia. You're welcome. Thank you for joining me. And thank you, Jonathan. For updates about rest and this podcast, please visit our Instagram or Facebook, The Place of Rest. If you'd like more information about Virginia or to support and join the cause of rest, please go to virginiadixon.com forward slash collaborate or call 949-289-5935. Thank you for listening to Rest with Virginia Dixon. We'll see you next week. <laughs>